1: Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join me on the program. The number's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And congratulations to Todd Helton and to the Colorado Rockies, a Todd Helton, um, ESPN, and a number of other different... Um, News outlets are reporting that our own Todd Helton has finally made it into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, of course, there was a trio of um, baseball players who were inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame Museum in Cooperstown, New York, by the Baseball Writers Association of America today. And uh, among the, the people who was voted in was uh, Gary Sheffield. Wait, no, it was Adrian Beltra, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. And Beltra, who was voted in on 95.1% of the ballots, and Maurer, 76.1%, got in uh, during their first year on the ballot. Helton made it on the sixth attempt. But guess what? He made it. So congratulations to Todd Helton. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And um, it's easy to get lost in a number of different Things, But so we're going to move on from, from the subject of gay marriage to new questions, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And um, what was the other thing that I was going to talk about? Um, uh, it'll come to me, but... As we look at what's going on around the world today, of course, is uh, the New Hampshire primary. The the election polls just closed in New Hampshire, so we should be having some information here shortly about um, who won. But today on the Denison Forum, Dr. Jim Denison has as his subject Why is democracy so popular? And interestingly enough, he says only seven countries in the world, Saudi Arabia, Oman, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Brunei, Afghanistan, and the Vatican, (laughs) do not claim to be democratic. And he writes rather tellingly, at a very famous quote from Winston Churchill. He says, quoting Churchill, that democracy is the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. And, of course, my view is that a constitutional republic... Is in fact a manifestation, an expression of we the people, but it is we the people committed to rule by law. So he says, for the people who are going out into New Hampshire tonight, he says, "quote Every state in the union will hold a pro- primary election or a caucus to help nominate." Candidates for president of the United States. He says, then comes the political convention, followed by more campaigning, followed by the elections. According to Jim Dennison, from the research that he has done, more than $10 billion will be spent on elections this year. And so he's quoting CNBC, which isn't a paragon of, of virtue when it comes to information, but let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. At CNBC.com, it says the 2024 election cycle is expected to be the most expensive ever with political ads totaling $10.2 billion across all media according to new projections that figure would exceed by more than a billion the current record which was set in the 2020 election when then president donald trump lost his reelection bid to joe biden the group anticipates at least 7 billion of the 2024 total will go to tv ads and spending So, Producer Jim, how much do you think will go to radio? (laughs) Do you think it will be enough to keep us afloat? (laughs) 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. And uh, it's interesting that With, uh, again, the totals that are coming out, we we should have more information. But back to Jim Dennison. So 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And he basically says um, – And that's just for the White House. So when we're talking about more than $10 billion, that's just the president's race. That's not all the other races. So he points out in 2020, 2,371 people ran for the United States Congress, not to mention the multiplied thousands who ran for state and local offices and all the money they raised and spent. He asks the question, and it really is a tough question Tuesday question. Why do we do our governance this way? (laughs) And he says there's a right answer and a wrong answer. He says choosing correctly is critical to our future as a nation. And here's what he offers as the wrong answer to our question. Jim Dennison writes, Many who run for office believe they're the best candidate for the position, that in a sense they deserve to win. Many who vote in elections believe that their views should prevail and their wishes should be championed by their government, that in a sense they deserve for their candidates to win. He writes, in other words, many of us are political consumers who purchase what we want by running for office or voting in elections. He says our nation's governance is a means to our personal ends. He says this is the wrong answer to our question. In his essay, Equality, C.S. Lewis wrote that he believed in democracy because, quote, I believe in the fall of man. He said, I think most people believe in democracy for the opposite reason. A great deal of democratic enthusiasm descends from the ideas of people like Rousseau, who believed in democracy because they thought mankind so wise and good that everyone deserved a share in the government. The danger of defending democracy on these grounds is that they're not true. Why not, Lewis said, I find that they're not true without looking further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen roost, much less a nation. So he gives the wrong answer, and then he provides the right answer, which I'll help you with when we come back. 303-873-1935, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. 303-873-1935. Talking about Jim Denison's, um, well, wonderful column that he has at the Denison Forum and also at ChristianHeadlines.com. And again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. He, of course, was talking about why democracy is so popular. He offered the wrong question the the wrong answer to the question. And then he offers quote unquote the right answer to the question. Earlier he had quoted a C.S. Lewis, who um In his essay called Equality, C.S. Lewis wrote that he believed in democracy. He said, quote, because I believe in the fall of man, he said, I think most people believe in democracy for the opposite reason. A great deal of democratic enthusiasm descends from the idea of people like Rousseau, who believed in democracy because they thought mankind so wise and good that everyone deserved a share in the government. The danger of defending democracy on these grounds is that they're not true. Why not? Lewis explains, I find that they're not true without looking further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen ruse, much less a nation. Then Lewis said, quote, Mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. And so Jim Dennison offers the right answer to the question. He says we should run for office as fallen people who recognize that we desperately need the leadership, wisdom, and strength that only God can provide. We should run because God has called us to a public service by his grace and because we wish to serve him gratefully by serving our nation and, conser- and, and serving our constituents. And then he, he writes, we should serve in dependence on his spirit. Because only then can we partner with God in fulfilling his plans for our people. He notes Jeremiah chapter twenty nine eleven, which, of course, in its context is um, I know the plans that I have for you concerning the people of Israel, that God has a plan and that God is going to fulfill the plan in the people of Israel. So it begs yet another application question is does God have a plan for the nation? the United States of America, he writes, the more leaders think they deserve their office, the less they do. Isn't that interesting? The more leaders think they deserve their office, the less they do. And then he says the same is true for the rest of us. He says we should pray before we vote and then vote as God directs us. And then he points out we should discuss political candidates in ways that do not demean them, Proverbs 10.18, or dishonor our Lord, First 1 Corinthians 10.31. And then he writes, when our leaders fall short of God's intention, we should remember Oswald Chambers' maxim, quote, God never gives us discernment so that we may criticize but that we may intercede, unquote. He says, here's a fact that we must never forget. He quotes Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: Kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Interesting. He offers this question, to whom does the kingship of your life belong today? interesting 873 1935 that's the number if you want to join me on the program 873 1935 and of course we could talk about all kinds of stuff on um got a uh, tough question tuesday but again if you'd like to join me on the program It's 303-873-1935. Over the years, I've been asked a lot of tough questions and um, happy to share the answers should you so uh, see fit to call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to to join me on the program. We've literally posted yet another difficult question at gotquestions.org. And, of course, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, has anyone ever asked you the question, what does the Bible say about queer platonic relationships? I would have said... Well, the Bible doesn't talk about queer platonic relationships. But, of course, it does talk about relationships. It does talk about sexual immorality. So... In the last decade, the LGBTQ community has increasingly recognized and supported individuals who identify as what they term asexual, which is defined as, quote, asexual orientation in which a person has little or no sexual attraction to others. As evidence of this, the LGBTQ community updated their initials to LGBTQI. A plus, where the A represents asexuality. And um, the community has also extended its support to what they call queer platonic relationships, a type of non-romantic partnership that some asexual people practice as an alternative to traditional marriage the growing awareness of asexuality in the LGBTQ community and in broader society has also sparked interest in the Bible's perspective on queer platonic relationships. So again, we've got an article that we've offered at 303-873-1935, an article at gotquestions.org. If you're interested in that, um, that that issue, now at the end of the article, um, basically the article mentions. While the Bible doesn't specifically mention queer platonic relationships, what it teaches about marriage and homosexuality make it clear that such partnerships are sinful. Marriage serves a holy purpose in God's plan for individuals, families, and society. A purpose that queer platonic relationships Distort, And I'm going to pause in the article and remind you that's – so if a person actually advocates for a biblical position about what constitutes normative, if you want to use that term, relationships, um, there are people who take umbrage with that. First of all, they don't believe that God created marriage. They don't believe that God created marriage to consist of one biological male and one biological female. And they take exception, maybe even hostile exception, that Christians would want to impose their biblical view on their non-biblical sentiments. And I get that, but it's going to lead down a terrible road with terrible consequences. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, it's Tough Question Tuesday, and so, of course, free to call 303-873-1935. We've got a couple of really wonderful articles that we've got posted at gotquestions.org. And uh, one of the ones I wanted to be able to share with you, and we should be getting some of the New Hampshire results in here shortly. And when we do, I'll let you know. But, um, one of the articles is concerning the question what does it mean that god gives grace to the humble and of course they're quoting first peter chapter 5 verse 5 where It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humility is to characterize our relationship with fellow Christians as also seen in other passages in scripture like proverbs 11:12 when pride comes then comes disgrace but with the humble is wisdom in matthew 23:12 it says whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted in james chapter 4 verse 6 it says But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so imagine James says, God gives grace to the humble. Peter says, God gives grace to the humble. In Luke chapter 14, verse 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So fortunately, we have the promise that God gives grace to the humble. And the grace that God gives to the humble is the blessing of his kindness and favor. So grace is extended to those who maintain an attitude of humility, who recognize the value of of others, and then submits to the will of the Father. So Christians are called to emulate the mindset of Jesus, willingly relinquishing his privileges to serve God in humility. And, of course, at Got Questions, we cite Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where it says, "'Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus,' who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on, on a cross. So the grace of God begins with salvation, as only the humble will acknowledge their need for a Savior. So salvation begins in humility where you go, I can't save myself. Jesus implied this when he told the religious leaders, the Pharisees, for I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who are sinners, in Matthew 9:13 the pharisees relying on their self righteousness rejected christ in pride while societal outcasts recognizing their sinfulness approached jesus for help so beyond salvation god's grace toward the humble includes the bestowal of honor at the appropriate time as indicated in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 where it says humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time so our innate desire for honor and exaltation is God-given and only he knows the ideal time for our elevation So seeking renown through our own merit leads to pride, but walking in humility allows God opportunity to grant us honor, whether it's in this life or eternity or both. Many revered Christians in history might not have foreseen how God would exalt them, but he did, sometimes posthumously. Similarly, our anonymous acts of service unnoticed by others, will receive their due reward. Every Christian can expect to be glorified when Christ returns. How do we know that? First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the immortal body must put on immortality. And then, of course, Philippians chapter three, verse 20, where it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So when Jesus returns, we're glorified. When Jesus returns, we're rewarded. For faithful service, how do we know? First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, we're witnesses, and we we also, we wit, in Jesus, we witness an example of exaltation following humility. He faces the humility of being arrested, tortured, killed, and then he's raised from the dead, never to die ever again. So many fear humility as they assume it will make them seem weak or insignificant or even dishonored, but the scripture says otherwise it is the proud who should exercise caution. It's the proud who are called upon to repent lest they face opposition from God himself. And so in contrast the humble become recipients of God's undeserved grace. And so there's several articles that we have on this very subject. You know, what does it mean that God resists the proud? What does it mean to be to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Why are you supposed to be sober and vigilant? And why, why? what does it mean that wives in the Bible in 1 Peter 3, 7 are called the weaker vessel? And what does it mean to be ready to give an answer, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? Um, for the rest of the passage says, give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's a verse that many Christian apologists quote as they prepare to give an answer to, to defend historical biblical faith and historical biblical Christianity. So 303 1935 1935 we'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, and, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about this yesterday, but the United States Supreme Court ruled on Monday um, against, or actually with, against Texas, but with the Biden administration in a case involving a razor wire fence along the Texas border with Mexico. So the court decided, um, allows Border Patrol agents to cut the wire that Texas had installed along the border. The wire had been installed as part of the Texas Governor Greg Abbott's broader fight with the administration over immigration enforcement in and, and a five to four vote. The justices granted an emergency appeal from the Biden administration, which has been in an escalating standoff with the border with Texas and objected to an appellate ruling in favor of the state. And um, a lot of people are basically wondering how and when the, this porous border is going to close. Now, I, and I talked about this, can you believe it? At the last election cycle in 2020, I said, if you want open borders, then you should vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is elected, and guess what? We have open borders. And um, in other news, the New York Post was reporting that a hospital affiliated with Harvard University retracts and corrects dozens of academic. Papers. A Harvard University-affiliated uh, teaching hospital is seeking to retract or correct dozens of papers authored by four of its top researchers, including the hospital's CEO, following a probe into allegations of data falsification. The Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in B- Boston has already um, initiated six retractions to papers, and 31 others are in the process of being corrected. And so there's this data plagiarism scandal. And there's another interesting story In and Out Burger is closing. Now, normally, when is a uh, a border going to close or in and out going to close, but they close it in Oakland due to crime. In other words, annual crime statistics released by the Oakland police department show that robberies in the area jumped 38%. Burglaries increased 23%. The location is closing only a couple of miles away from Oakland international airport. now the location is profitable but it's just not safe and interestingly enough i talked a little bit about the houthis uh the over the last several days and the uh two navy seals are have been declared dead over the weekend after a mishap in the arabian sea um they were identified so they've identified the two navy seals as christopher j chambers 37 and Nathan Gage Ingram, 27, the pair went missing in rough seas during a nighttime shipboarding mission that despite the tragedy resulted in the seizure of an Iranian-made missile component. And the United States officials have said, according to the Washington Post, and so um, when the president basically was asked about it, he didn't acknowledge it. And, of course, the United States and the United Kingdom have uh, launched strikes against eight Houthi targets, and so it's all beginning to unfold. And I was um, going to bring up one more topic before we close. But, again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303 Eight seven three nineteen thirty five. 1935 it was the uh, tragedy in Gaza that all Israel News, my friend Joel Rosenberg and the people at All Israel News are reporting this terrible tragedy in Gaza where 21 um, IDF soldiers were killed. There was an explosion that caused buildings to collapse on literally dozens of IDF troops. Um, so apparently some 21 were killed, several more injured. Um, so the soldiers were killed when terrorists fired two RPG anti-tank missiles at a unit of reserve soldiers in the 2261st Brigade. And so, again, challenges, challenges, challenges. The war continues, so... That's the number if you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. There's also another interesting story of a church suing Ohio City um, because the church was opening its doors to the homeless and the church was fined for violating zoning laws by keeping their doors open to the poor but there there's more to the story um what's interesting is the church has is suing the city but last week the city officials returned to this particular church for a reinspection, and the fire marshal found a gas leak in the church which was housing 20 people and according to a statement issued by the city on Friday the city said the church had until today to bring the building up to code or it was going to take appropriate action so the city said the name of the church is called Dad's Place and it was allowing individuals to literally come into the church and sleep on the in the church property. But the property is located in what's called a C3 zoning district that allows churches and other places of assembly to operate on a conditional use. It doesn't permit, quote-unquote, residential use on the first floor of any building in the district, according to the zoning uh, department. So the city also noted it's been accused of failing to support the homeless even though a homeless shelter that fully complies with the zoning code and fire code operates literally right next door to the church. So it's just interesting to see how um how things are unfolding. What's also interesting is a couple of news outlets are reporting that the church's pastor is facing 18 criminal charges relating to zoning law violations. And so it's interesting to see um, this growing reluctance on the part of the government to allow the church to do the work of ministry. But we should find out more in the not-too-distant future. Hey, thanks for joining me. And again, I do want to let you know that I plan to be at Grace Bible Church in Longmont this weekend. If you're in Longmont, look up Grace Bible Church. I plan to be teaching from the book of Colossians. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow. Prayerfully. The Lord wills.